Good evening. Good to see all of you this wonderful evening. It's the day the Lord has made. Psalm 118, 24 says, this is the day the Lord has made, and we rejoice and we are glad in it. And we will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on our lips. I can't help but just reflect, as Pastor Tiffany said, we'd be doing all week, and in our prayer time this week, and this isn't the text for tonight, but I, and even as they were singing, I looked over at my wife, we've been talking about the woman with the alabaster box in the Gospels, Matthew 26 and Mark 14, and, and just sensing God saying in this season, pour it out, <laughs> pour it out, and whatever we might think uh, cost us something, it pales in comparison to the cost he already paid to redeem us, amen, yeah. amen, um, and it's that's not our text tonight, but Lord knows we want to just pour it out is what God has been saying to us uh, in our home. And so prayerfully receive, receive that tonight. Uh, my name is Paul, for those of you who do not know me, and I am privileged to serve as one of your associate pastors here on staff. Uh, and it's just a pleasure to be in the house of God uh, with the people of God, worshiping a God who cannot fail, a God who, as I mentioned, redeemed us and reconciled, un- reconciled us unto himself. And prayerfully you are enjoying this week with us. We are in the midst of a fasting period now, consecration unto the Lord. And you can find all of the prayer points on our website at gracecove.org. But how many, like me, are excited to hear afresh from the Lord what he has for us in this season? One thing I've learned is that God is speaking. It's more about me clearing up the clutter and the frequency to hear what it is that he's saying. And prayerfully in this time we can hear afresh what it is he's saying to us individually and corporately as a people and what he wants us to be doing, and, and, and who he wants us to be in this day and time. We bless God for this opportunity to share with you tonight and to study God's word uh, with you. And, and without further ado, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. And as you're finding that, pray with me, Lord, we thank you so much for just another opportunity that we have to study your word. And uh, we pray according to your word that you would open up our eyes so that we may see all that is in your law. I'm grateful. We are grateful tonight for your word that is living, that is active, that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray tonight that you would just open up all of our hearts and our ears to hear what it is that you would have for us to hear and that it would drop the 18 inches from the, the intellectual space of our brain to our hearts such that it can become a reality and lived experience in our daily lives. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak tonight. I pray that you would speak tonight and help us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39 And it reads this way, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the title of the message tonight and the main point of the message tonight, simple yet I think profoundly impactful uh, in our lives is receive God, receive victory. When we receive God, we receive victory. First off, before we even get into the text, I want to thank many of you uh, who uh, reached out with your thoughtful condolences, uh, expressions through text, email, uh, phone calls. I had some very creative gifs that showed up on my phone after the UVA men's basketball team lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament, if you don't know where I'm going. Um, I appreciate all of those thoughts. And the fact that I am able to stand here today and say anything about it especially publicly, tells you that I am making progress in my moving through grief. I think there was a shock, the denial, right? (laughs) There was anger and guilt, and and I think I'm moving towards acceptance and hope, praise the Lord. Um, If you're not familiar, the UVA men's basketball team was ranked number one this season, the first time since 1982 in the Ralph Sampson era, which it's just like those are the glory days, so to speak, as they speak of in Charlottesville. And, and this was the first time since then we had been ranked number one, and it was for a few weeks. And so there was this realistic expectation that we would be cutting down the nets at the end of March. Don't even ask me what games we're playing. I haven't watched since. <laughs> we were the first number one overall seed to lose to a 16 seed. Oh, but more seriously, I, what has actually been encouraging, uh, and I've talked to my wife about it, I've talked to some others about it, is the young men on the team have embraced this reality. They've embraced Jesus Christ, the few that I've been able to have some contact with, such that the victory in their lives extends beyond the lines of that court. And that's a praise report. Having been around that university and the teams for some time, this is a unique space and time to see them legitimately and, and genuinely Yes, grieve a loss that they are disappointed about, and it will sting for quite some time. But they know who they are and who defines them. And that reality of seeing them walk in the very real victory that God calls each of us to walk in has helped me move on a little bit (laughs) from, from from this particular season. I'm grateful to God that he is available for each of us, and that's the message tonight, to accept, to receive in areas of our lives that perhaps we have yet to really receive him in. I imagine I'm not the only one who have had moments in my life where I've thought, God, firstly, how did I get here? And maybe I quietly whispered, why me here? And, 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 and Lord, can you really, does your love reach here where I am? And further, maybe I'm the only one, perhaps there are others of you in here who have at times in those moments felt convicted about my love for God waning in the midst of a struggle, waning in the midst of an adverse situation, not growing in and through as he calls us to be content in all things and giving God thanks through all trials and circumstances, but actually seeing my love wane for him in those moments. Or maybe... Like me, you might have experienced at times because of offenses that others have done to me or toward me or, or about me, I have found that the inseparable love that God has for us not working in and through me for those in my sphere of influence. So I found even that the love that I'd like to say that I have in me and working through me severed 
by the things that others do. And those three things simply will be the challenges at the end of our message that I'm giving up front. But the overarching message and main point of the evening is that when we receive God, we receive his victory. And in this text, we see in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, specifically a love that's depicted that endures. A love that when we receive him, because God is love, we truly can be more than conquerors. When we receive God, we receive victory. I'll back up a step for a little bit of context. The central theme of this letter, speaking of the book of Romans, written by the apostle Paul, is that of righteousness. And in the first chapter of Romans, the 16th and 17th verses specifically, it says this, that, that pretty much paints what the theme of this book is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so Paul here is communicating to the church at Rome that it's really only through the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross that we can be made right. In other words, it's only that only through grace, by grace, through faith, not human effort, that you and me could be justified, said differently. And that salvation is available to each and every one of us. In Paul's context, he's speaking of the Jew and the Greek. In our context, whether you have a PhD or a GED or you are black, white, Latino or Asian, you have a lot of money in the bank, no money in the bank, you're Republican or Democrat, whatever walk of life we find ourselves, salvation is available to us all. How many know that is good news? Amen, that is good news. As an aside, I would imagine that if any of us were in the place of God, I don't want to go around the room and see what list you might have in your mind of those who might catch a lightning bolt or two, but I imagine things might be a little bit different, so I'm glad that we don't rely on ourselves for this, but through him, salvation is available to each of us. John 3.16 says it this way, God so loved the, the world that he gave his son such that whomever believes in him won't perish and have everlasting life. And so in this particular text, Paul is asking the question of whether or not there is anything or anyone that can separate us from the love of God. And in some ways we might think of this question as rhetorical, in that the answer is no, there is, of course, nothing that's going to separate us from the love of God. In fact, Romans, uh, uh, earlier in the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, it says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, paying a debt that was ours to pay, though we had no currency to pay it, but he did so in our stead, on our behalf, first enduring what the Apostle Paul is speaking of in this text, in verse 35 in terms of the trouble, the hardship, the persecution, and so forth, overcoming what it is that we're celebrating with thanksgiving this week, death and the grave, through his death and burial and resurrection, he overcame, he conquered all, bridging the divide, if you will, that that we created in our sin, allowing us and offering us the opportunity to be reconciled to him for all eternity. And all that we have to do is receive the gift that's freely offered. Receive him. And when we do, we receive 
his victory. The text says, can trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword come between us and the love God have for us? Would God love us any less because of or in the midst of adverse circumstances that we find ourselves in? Apostle Paul himself, the writer of this book, was himself beaten and and stripped and imprisoned and stoned. And I'm not sure that anyone in this room would dare say that he was separated from the love of God. If anything, we might say, no, Paul actually embraced, fully embraced the love of God. And if anything, he was suffering with the, as a privilege, if you will, for the cause and the sake of Christ. And so if that's the case, then we have to ask, Paul, then why this question? Why do you even present the question of what is it that might separate us from the love of God? And it's not explicated here, but I imagine Paul knew something about the church at Rome and you and me as well, who would, he would know that we would wonder at times if what we are having to go through is somehow creating distance between us and the love of God. Or perhaps you found yourself thinking that what you're going through might even be evidence of God's love for you having decreased. The devil is a liar. The truth is that these situations are neither cause nor evidence for a decrease in God's love. In fact, on some level, we can expect many of these situations to arise in our life. And if we are so privileged, they will arise because of our faith in Christ. Verse 36 says, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And that references to Psalm 44 and 22 that pretty much reminds us that in Christ, we are not exempt or immune from persecution or trial or circumstances that are adverse in any way, shape or form. And as mentioned, we might even get the privilege of suffering for the cause of Christ. But whatever trials and tribulations show up on our doorstep, how many know they show up without an appointment most of the time? Whatever comes our way. When we receive God in that moment, hopefully prior to, in and after the moment, we can receive God's victory in that moment. And I think, though, it's important to note, kind of inserting somewhat parenthetically here, um, that we receive God or when we receive God, we receive victory on his terms. Right. It kind of it's this is a familiar story, so I'll go through it somewhat quickly. But you you know, the story reminds me of this gentleman of of, uh, he was on a the the balcony of his home and it was raining. You guys remember the story? And there was a flood and so the flood's rising. I see some heads nodding, right? So the flood's rising and he's there and he's saying, God, I know you're going to save me. I pray there's a plan for me, right? So you're with me. The rowboat, it comes by and he says, whoa, the waters are rising, man. Go on, come on and get in this boat. Guy says, no, man, go and save somebody else. God has a plan for me. I'm good. Okay, so the rowboat reluctantly leaves him. A few minutes later, a motorboat comes by, right? Okay, the waters are rising. Hey, get in this boat, man. I can get us both out of here safely. The guy says, no, I'm good. God has a plan for me. Don't worry about it. Save the next person. God has got me. So reluctantly, the motorboat leaves. And then the helicopter comes. The waters are really rising. And he says, "Uh, listen, I have a rope. I can't get that low to you, but I can drop the rope down for you. Grab onto the rope. I'll pull you up and get you out of here. He says, thank you so much for your kindness, but God has a plan for me. I'm good. You go ahead and move on. Find the next person to save. And then when he transitioned to heaven, uh, he asked God, God, I prayed you had a plan. I thought for me what happened. And of course, God says to him, what? I sent a rowboat. I sent a motorboat and a helicopter. What more did you expect from me? 
And as ridiculous as that familiar story might sound, how often is it that we too might find ourselves in situations where there's a preconceived notion, not only of the victory that we'll, that, that, that we'll experience in the moment, but even how God is going to bring about said victory. If we go a little bit further uh, into that, not just talking about how uh, we might see God bringing the victory or even what the victory might be, I found in my own experiences in life that sometimes it's not even so much what God can and certainly can relieve me from in the moment as much as it is the victory that I find while going through those challenging circumstances. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 5, that says, For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow toward us, so also our comfort through Christ overflows to you. Receive God, receive victory. And in verse 37 of our text, the Apostle Paul answers his own rhetorical question of whether or not anything, the sufferings uh, that were mentioned here, separate us from the love of God by saying no. In all of these things, in the trouble, in the hardship, in the famine, in the nakedness, in the danger, in the sword, in the persecution, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Which means we vanquish, we overwhelm, we overpower beyond. There's a decisive or surpassing victory. When we receive God, we receive Victory, And can I say, church, there is nothing on this planet that can subdue the love that God has for us. And consequently, as stewards of the gospel and of his love inside of us, there ought not be anything in this world, after having received God in his love, that has the power to subdue our love for and confidence in him. Our faith isn't destroyed. Our hope is not diminished. Our love isn't Dash, no, we are more than conquerors through him. First Corinthians 15 and 57 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. First John 4 and 4 says, John 16 and 33 goes on and says, in me you can have peace. Yes, I know you'll have trouble, but I've already overcome the world. It's already done. It's not by your agency. It's not by my agency. It's not by our power. It's not by our might. It's not by any intellectual capacity nor any connections or good ideas we think we might have. We're more than conquerors through him. Some of you have heard me share a little bit of the testimony of Victory Church of Charlottesville that will be planted by Grace Covenant Church this coming fall. And so briefly, I'll revisit the idea of the vision for that church, which was birthed a few years ago, long before what we saw in Charlottesville in 2017 on August 11th, where three people unfortunately died through a number of uh, 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 acts of hatred and so forth. But the vision we began writing in 2015 had a lot to do with reconciliation and seeing a city of Charlottesville transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, such that when August 11th and 12th rolled around, yes, it hurt. Yes, there was sadness and is sadness and grief and disappointment And there's still some emotional and psychological suffering that ensues to this day. But there was something that was sensed in that moment and even beyond that moment. That like Pastor Donnell often says, we knew the fight was fixed. This fight is already fixed. And no, it's not a naive. And I've always got to be careful and balanced when sharing that. Because it's not a naive sort of self-indulgent 
experience of triumph, right? Like there's not this ignoring of what is right, happening right in front of me, this division by race and class and everything else going on. No, there's not ignorance of that as much as there is confidence in the objective work of Christ that already accomplished there what we now get to walk out. And so in many ways, we get to become what we already are in him, which is a people reconciled to God and to each other, a city, a nation, a world that gets to participate in seeing others reconciled to him and to each other. The same power that enabled him, Jesus Christ, to be led to the slaughter like sheep without complaining, the same power that enabled him to be beaten and bruised for our iniquities, by the way, without complaining whatsoever, the same power that allowed him while on the cross to pray for us, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That same power, the power that, again, we're celebrating this week in that life was breathed into a lifeless body for our benefit such that we can live a resurrected life in all areas of life. That same power lives in and through us such that victory can be born in and through us. Matthew 28 and 18 says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Therefore, the next verse says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. There is no promise. Uh, Steve Merle, the president of every nation, talks a lot about this in his writings. There's no promise of a storm-free life. All right, they're going to be unexpected challenges. I spoke of the things that come to our calendars without appointments. They're going to be, uh, I can't get March Madness out of my head. It's not just about March Madness, but it's going to be some unexpected challenges in the month of March. No, there are going to be some children we may not be able to get through to sometimes. There may be some family members who literally find every nerve we have and they just seem to jump right on top of it over and over and over again. There may be some unexpected relational difficulty, difficulty in finances, difficulty in health. We're not expected to live a storm-free life, but in Christ we can truly live a storm-proof life. When we receive God, when we receive God, we receive victory. Apostle Paul then emphatically concludes in verses 38 and 39 by saying, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm only holding on to this podium so I don't run for a minute because when I think about that and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ in our life and that nothing, no matter how good or bad I've ever been in my life, that his love has found me? What? I would dare you to take a moment and think. <laughs> Paul has unwavering confidence, as should we, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I have no idea about you. Again, I don't know each of your stories, but I know I've had these challenging moments in my life as we move toward a conclusion where if I'm honest, I wonder, God, how did I get here? The questions I mentioned before, why am, can you really find me here? Secondly, I've wondered, has my love for you waned in this season of struggle? And thirdly, have I allowed for my love for others to be severed due to differences that are always less than what you had to hurdle to get to me? And so tonight, as we conclude, I want to just challenge us 
in three specific ways as we consider this text and we consider the reality of receiving God and when we do so, receiving victory. Firstly, I want to challenge us to receive God in those spaces that perhaps previously we have not. You can do your own self-inventory now. You know those spaces where you're like, maybe subconsciously even, God, yeah. We just heard a lot about uh, Elijah and Elisha <laughs> this past weekend, the room that was built. There, we might be building rooms, but there's a certain aspect of our life. We know we've not really created a room, not because he doesn't want to get there, because we just read nothing separates us, but something in us says, I can't even invite. I, there's something about me receiving you there. So that's the challenge this week. Where in your life is God saying, invite me in, I'm not separated by that. Receive me into that space and receive my victory. Hear God saying he can meet you there with the love of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want to challenge us all with this uh, particular text and, and, and main point of the evening to have our love for him grow and not wane in and through whatever adversity it is that we might face. And there's some tension here. Because there are times in our life where we might find, and maybe you're here perhaps because uh, a friend or cousin said, hey, just come out. And you're like, I'm going to come give God one more shot. <laughs> come out on this Wednesday night. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you've been born on the pew and been here all your life. But still, there's something there that you've not quite allowed God into. And in some ways, your love for him hasn't been as poured out as was sung before as it could be. Might I challenge all of us, like that woman, as I alluded to, I knew she'd come up again, with the alabaster box in Matthew 26. Might I challenge us to pour it out for him, whether on the mountaintop, in the valley, because guess what? What he was going through for us kind of dwarfs a bit of what, not minimizing, I'm not minimizing what it is that we might have to go through, but the cost of that perfume that she poured out, the cost of whatever it is God is saying, lay it down. The cost of the praise that we have to give to him pales in comparison to what he has already done on our behalf. It's a proper response. And so let's even be careful in those moments where we might even say, not out loud, I know, but God, what have you done for me lately? I've been dealing with this for the last 10 years. Careful. Because he's done all and more than he ever would have to do in the work on the cross. If he does nothing else for me, I'm going to be on that good foot, as my mom says. Every day, giving my God a praise for what he's already done. Thirdly, the last challenge. I want to challenge all of us today not to allow any of these things to create separation between others in our life and the love we have for them. And I'm smiling a little bit because I imagine if you're sitting there, you were with me on the first two. And now you're like, okay, Pastor, you went a little too far. <laughs> you don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my cousin, my sister, my brother, my colleague. Heck, you don't know the person sitting next to me right now. Do you know really what you're asking me to do? Because what I'm experiencing from them is anything but unconditional love. So you're asking me, to not allow anything to sever? Yes, no, not me, but I believe the word of the Lord is saying if we've received God and the love he has for us, which we've learned, and our text cannot be separated by trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, then how much more through us and those that live in and around us to experience that unconditional love through us, our children, who Lord knows we're the only God they see until they can really recognize and understand him for themselves. How much of uh, a testimony could that be God's love being shown through us? And no, I am not saying, for those who may not know me well enough to know that I am not saying this, to be 
a punching bag or a doormat for someone's abuse, physically, emotionally, so forth and so on. That is not what I'm saying. I am, though, saying that our love for those individuals in our life who we experience less than from ought not be severed. I don't know who you're sitting next to or whom you're living with. I don't know, digressing a little bit, but it's related and probably on the seats of some of you married folks in the room, if he or she pushes the toothpaste from the top or the bottom, I don't know if they like the toilet paper over the top or the bottom. I do believe it's ordained by God. It should go over. Let me just, over. I should kind of miss the cannon, but it should be in there somewhere. Over. I don't know what you're dealing with in your finances, relationally, wherever you might find yourself. On the job, the person who literally is digging a hole under you right now as we speak politically on the workplace, and you know it, and you're like, Lord, how am I to, with wisdom and tact, and not be a doormat, but with wisdom and love, how does that, how does it look? That's where I'm getting at. How do we, I'm challenging us to not allow our love for others to be severed by that which we might experience from them. It doesn't matter. And I can't imagine, though I want us to collectively imagine in my long conclusion, but this is a for real one now. (laughs) What if we received God in these spaces that we have not previously for whatever reason? What if, what would happen if we started to let God in the whole house? What would happen? What kind of victory would God want to see born in and through our lives? And what impact might that have on those in and around us, like the church at Rome and the church at Corinth and the church at Ephesus through the Apostle Paul. What might happen when we invited God in to our lives? What might happen if, I don't know if any college students are here tonight, but I spent a lot of time on the college campus. If you invited him into the cafeteria or the quad or whatever terminology is described on your campus for where you know God is not invited often. <laughs> High school students, Facebook. Probably more my generation. Instagram, I think, is where the high school students are now. Instagram and Snapchat and so forth. What if you invited him in there? What, God, what might God do? Secondly, what would happen or what, what, if we just imagine what would happen, God, if we poured it out in every season of life, if our love for you didn't wane but rather grew for you in and through adverse situations? And lastly, God, what might happen, church, if we were to allow the unconditional love that God has for us to be experienced by others through us? If we could be a conduit for that. Yes, sanctification is a process. Yes, we are being made righteous. But I referenced earlier our becoming who we already are. God says, be holy as I've called you to be holy. And I believe he's called us and equipped us where there's a vision. He gives provision to be that that he's called us to be, to take the next step of obedience. Perfection, no, I get we're in the flesh. I get that. But I also get that he's calling us into increased levels of righteousness each and every day such that we can live out all that he's called us to live out. And we've heard so much of that this weekend in terms of what he's calling us to contend for. And God, help us to begin with embodying and stewarding the love you have for us well for others in and around us. Amen. Pray with me, Lord. Thank you for the word of God, again, that is active, that is living, that is sharper than any two-edged sword, God. But that when it cuts... 
We are edified. We are made better. We are drawn near. We are closer to you experiencing the victory that you want us to experience here in the earth. You called us, Lord, to see your will in heaven done here in earth. And we are and uh, want to be willing and effective participants in seeing your will done here in the earth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being our unconditional Father. Thank you for loving us, even in the spaces where we don't think we could be loved. Thank you for, 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 for wanting us and chasing after us with your mercy and your love and your grace each and every day. And may we today, God, open up more of those spaces such that you can fill it and in so doing have us experience victory. Thank you in advance for each of us taking on these three challenges, Lord, to embody all that you called us to embody in receiving you, in loving you more, and in loving others well. And with our heads bowed, there may be someone here tonight who has yet to receive God for the first time. I think wherever we are in this room, this message can be for all of us in that we can receive God more. But maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, I've not received God, period. This victory you've talked about, Pastor Paul, tonight that is being spoken of in the word of God through this particular text. I have yet to experience at all, but I can tell you how I've come to the end of myself. Yes, I can tell you about that, but I've not yet surrendered my life to the one who in exchange for my, inf- my, my fallibility and finite nature will give me his infinite, his Holy Spirit. I have not done that. You in the room. If that is you and you're wanting tonight to make the best decision you could ever make in your life, which is to say yes to the Lord and surrender your life to him, we want to pray with and for you and celebrate that decision with you tonight. If that is you, raise your hand so we can pray with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing in the lives of everyone that's seated in this room. For those of us who know you, Lord, and have uh, a desire to want to know you better and to take the next step of obedience, inviting you into those areas of our life that we have previously been tentative to do so. I pray, God, that you would go before us, be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path as we discern your will for our lives on the mountaintop and in the valley. And as we reflect this week on your death, your burial and resurrection, may, be, may we be ever mindful of, may our eyes be opened to, as is also prayed by the Apostle Paul for the church at Ephesus, open to the hope to which you've called us, open to the immeasurable power that you've called us to walk in as we reflect during this holy week. Help us, Lord to live resurrected lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.